going to be reading Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the foyer that you can grab and take home with you today. So again, Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers in every respect, so that I might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. So before we get into the Word of God today, I just want to encourage those of you who enjoy reading that we're going to start a new book for the book club for for Lent. Uh, We're looking at a book called To Seek and to Save, written by Sinclair Ferguson, who's an excellent Bible teacher. Uh, He's looking at the second half of Luke's Gospel to deal with uh, what Jesus was addressing as he prepared to go to the cross and die for our sins. So I'd encourage you, if you'd like to pick up the book, you can sign up for it in the foyer, or you can pick it up here in the front of the church as well. So I'd encourage you to do that if you'd like to be part of that today. Most people who are accused of crimes want someone else to represent them. They don't want to represent themselves before the judge and the jury. But if they do think about representing themselves, uh, lawyers will frequently tell them two words, bad idea. For this reason, you hardly ever see an accused person representing himself in court. But occasionally, in small settings like small claims court, you do see someone who is acting as their own attorney. And speaking of small claims court, let's think about all those people who have represented themselves before Judge Judy. I think that after standing before Judge Judy, most of those people do not think it was a good idea to represent themselves. Instead, they feel like they've been sent to the principal's office. How would you feel if you had Judge Judy say to you things like she usually says, like, do I look like I need help from you? Or, I'm the boss, applesauce. Or, if you live to be 100, you will never be as smart as I am. Or, perhaps this is my personal favorite saying of Judge Judy, beauty fades, dumb is forever. After representing themselves before Judge Judy, most people say to themselves, bad idea. Someday, each and every one of us is going to stand before God as our judge. The charges against us will be far more serious than any charges that are brought forward in Judge Judy's court. And the punishment that we will face is far more serious. This God that we will stand before is completely holy and righteous. And this God sees and knows everything about you. So here is my question for you. Do you really want to represent yourself before this God. Bad idea. You desperately need a representative who will win your case. 
You need a really good defense attorney. In fact, you need a great attorney. Hebrews chapter 2 says that there is such a representative available to you to win your case. Who is that representative? It is Jesus Christ. Jesus can help you win your case. Well, you might ask, well, how can Jesus help me when I am accused? And who does Jesus defeat when he wins a victory on my behalf? Let's look at Hebrews 2 this morning and see some answers to these important questions. First of all, Jesus wins for you by becoming a human high priest. Listen again to how this passage of Hebrews chapter 2 begins in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So what leaps off the page here in Hebrews chapter 2 is that Jesus is fully human. Jesus also had flesh and blood. That's what we see in Hebrews 2. He has flesh and blood just like you and me. In Hebrews chapter 1, we see some of the strongest statements in the New Testament that Jesus is God. And in Hebrews chapter 2, we see some of the strongest statements in the New Testament that Jesus is fully human. Jesus became God incarnate. Jesus, as God, took on human flesh and became a human being. Why is this important? Why does Jesus have to be both God and man? Because we read here in Hebrews chapter 2 that if Jesus were not both fully God and fully man, he could not save us from God's judgment. The book of Hebrews then clearly speaks against two competing heresies. A heresy is a belief that is opposed to true Christian teaching. One heresy that people believed in the days of the early church was that Jesus was really God, but not really human. After all, how could someone as pure and holy as God take on human flesh? That didn't seem to make much sense. How could that be? In modern terms, the people who believe the lie that Jesus was fully God, but not fully human, saw Jesus like this picture that I brought with me today. They saw Jesus as a superman. That's how they viewed him. Now, what does Superman do? Superman goes around the world saving the world whenever there is a problem or a crisis. Jesus, of course, does the same thing. Jesus saves the world. But when Superman was not saving the world, what was Superman doing? He looked like an ordinary human being. He looked like this guy. Okay? And so... I was always confused by Superman because it seemed like just putting on glasses wasn't much of a disguise, right? Uh, After all, if I took my glasses off, you still would recognize me, right? I still looked the same. But somehow with Superman, nobody knew who he was when he put the glasses on. And so it was very, very confusing. But here's the thing about Superman. Was he really human even though he looked like a human? No. Superman was an alien from another planet who invaded our planet. 
And that is what some people in the days of the early church said about Jesus. It only looked like Jesus was human. It only seemed like Jesus was a human being. But he was not really human. This heretical belief is contradicted here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Jesus was and is fully human. The other heretical belief that the author of Hebrews contradicts is much more common in our day today. The belief is that Jesus was indeed fully human, but he is not fully God. That is ridiculous, the heretic believes, that any human being could be God. Jesus was a good man. Jesus taught a lot of good things. But there is no way that he could be God, the heretic believes. If you want to see that heresy, that Jesus is not God, contradicted, I would urge you to reread Hebrews chapter 1. Let's return to Hebrews 2 and verse 14. And the fact that Jesus was flesh and blood. In order to represent us before God, the judge, Jesus had to become a human being. He had to be like us. Verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels that Jesus helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Jesus did not come to earth to save angels, even though there were fallen angels. Instead, Jesus came to earth to save fallen human beings. In order to save human beings, however, Jesus had to become one of us. He had to become human. He had to become a human being so that he might represent us before God. Now, the Jewish Christians that the author was writing to were very familiar with the idea of someone representing them before God. The Jews had someone represent them before God once a year in the section of the tabernacle or the temple called the Holy of Holies. And who was the name of that representative? What was his title? He was the high priest. We read in verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is the first of 17 times in the book of Hebrews that the author mentions the role of the high priest. The practice of the high priest representing the people before God was spoken about in Leviticus chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. Let's read together out loud from that passage in Leviticus 16. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. So the, the point that the author of Hebrews is making here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 is that Jesus is just like the Jewish high priests. Jesus represents the people before God, and he offers up a sacrifice that would bring atonement and forgiveness of sin. 
you know, would bring forgiveness as long as the people had faith. Now, here's a question for you as you think about what might happen if someone came to Aaron after this commandment of God was made in Leviticus 16. What do you think would happen if someone approached Aaron and said to him, Aaron, I don't need you to represent me before God. You're no better than I am. I can stand before God in the most holy place all by myself. How do you think Aaron would have responded to such a statement? I think he probably would have said this, bad idea. Do you have some kind of a death wish to do that? There are specific procedures and sacrifices and incense that only the high priest can offer up to God. Don't do it. You need me to represent you before God. Jesus says the same thing to all of us today. We cannot stand before God on our own. We desperately need Jesus to represent us before God if we want to be forgiven of our sins. We can't do that on our own. We would lose everything if we tried. But if we ask Jesus to represent us, we will win our case. We will be forgiven of all of our sins. So this is really important. Is Jesus your high priest? Is Jesus your representative? Do you believe that Christ died for you on the cross? If so, you will win your case before God on Judgment Day. But if Jesus is not representing you, if you are standing before God, on the basis of your own good works, if you are representing yourself before God, you have no hope. You will lose everything. But the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to lose when you stand before God on Judgment Day. Jesus can and will win your case as your representative and high priest if you trust that he died in your place. Jesus also can and will help you today when you are tempted. His help is not just for the future. His help is also for us today when we face temptation. Listen to verse 18. For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Sometimes when I am standing in the checkout line in Hannaford, I look at the magazine covers and I look at the celebrities who are on those magazine covers and usually they are pictured with their mansion behind them. And as I look at that mansion, as I look at those celebrities, I frequently find myself in a weak moment saying, what an easy life these people have. I wish I could have an easy life like that. I wish I could have their personal trainers, their personal chefs to keep me looking as beautiful as I already am. I wish I could have that. But as I think about these things, sometimes, hopefully, my mind goes back to my high priest, to Jesus and who he is. And I remember this about Jesus. Jesus did not have an easy life. 
Jesus was rejected at some point by everybody. Jesus was lonely. Jesus suffered grief and he cried. Jesus was falsely accused, mocked, betrayed. As an adult, he was homeless. As a toddler, he was a refugee on the run from the government trying to take his life. Jesus also was misunderstood by his family. He suffered physical pain and he dealt with stress pretty much every day of his life. So if you are going through pain today, if you are suffering, if you are being tempted today, know this, Jesus can relate to you. Jesus has been where you are. And Jesus also can help you today defeat your temptation. Jesus was never beaten by any temptation that he faced. He always won. And he is there for you today as your representative to help you win when you face temptation as well. Jesus wins for you. He also wins for you by defeating death, Satan, and sin. We have seen how Jesus won on our behalf by becoming our representative human high priest. But now I want you to see clearly who Jesus defeats on your behalf. Jesus defeats your three great enemies, your enemies of death, Satan, and sin. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Jesus became human that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In these verses, we find an answer to the question, why does it matter that Jesus represents us? As our representative, Jesus can die in our place. Jesus came to solve our greatest problems, the problems of sin and death. And how does Jesus win over death for us? Through his own death. Death is only defeated through death. Jesus' death on our behalf as our representative. The penalty for sin is death. But if sins were forgiven, then the need for death would be removed. And that's exactly what Jesus has won for us. Jesus died for our sins on the cross so that our debt to God might be fully paid. And since Christ's death brought forgiveness of sins, there is no need anymore for us to pay the penalty of eternal death for our sin. Death has been defeated because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Because we all know that we are going to die someday, Verse 15 says that through fear of death, we are subject to lifelong slavery. We are slaves to our fear of death. Death is a shadow that darkens every part of our lives. And the fear of death affects almost every decision that we make. Even in our moments of greatest happiness, death is a dark shadow reminding us that our joy in this world is short-lived. 
For example, like most people, my wedding day was one of the happiest days of my life. It was a day of great joy and celebration. But there was one thing about my wedding day that was sad for me. My mother was not there. She had died when I was nine years old. She never had the chance then to meet my wife. I know that my mother would have loved Wendy. I know that she would have been a great friend and mentor to her. But my mother was gone, and so I never had the chance to introduce my wife to my mother. So the shadow of death brought some great darkness to one of the brightest days of my life. This is why it is such good news that Jesus has won the victory over death. I don't have to fear death anymore because Jesus has beaten it. I will introduce my wife to my mother one day. Why will I be able to do that? Because Jesus has defeated death. Jesus wins. He defeated death on Easter Sunday. And now we no longer have to fear our own death because we too will be raised from the dead by Jesus, our representative. Well, Jesus not only defeated death, he also defeated the devil who is holding the power of death, according to verse 14. You see, when God created the world, it was completely good. There was nothing wrong with the world that God created. There was no death because there was no sin. But when the devil enticed Adam and Eve and drew them into sin, Satan gained the power of death over humanity. And from that moment at the beginning of human history, Satan and God were locked in a battle over humanity. There is a wonderful prophecy made by God at that moment in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 about the battle between God and Satan. I'd like for us to read that prophecy together out loud. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, there was going to be a war between Eve's eventual offspring, Jesus, and the serpent, Satan. Satan bruised Jesus' heel when Jesus went to the cross to die for us. Satan wounded Jesus. But you know what Jesus did? He crushed Satan's head. That's what Jesus did. He won against Satan. Jesus has completely defeated the devil. And when he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we see his victory even today. Now, as Christians, we are well aware that Satan still has power in our world, even though Jesus defeated him at the cross. We feel Satan's power when we are tempted. We feel his power when we are made to be afraid by Satan's lies. But I want to remind you this morning that Satan's power is limited power. Jesus' power is greater I want you to think for a moment about the mailman's greatest enemy. The mailman's greatest enemy is the big and vicious 
dog, okay? So one day, a, a mailman opened up a gate to a house, and as soon as he walked inside the gate and closed the gate, he saw before him the biggest and meanest dog he'd ever seen in his life. And as he looked at that dog, he got this panicked look in his eye, and he saw the dog leaping toward him while barking furiously. Well, this mailman thought, well, this is going to be an interesting day. It's going to be a hard day. But then as he kept on looking at the dog, suddenly he noticed that the dog was chained. And the chain was very, very long. It gave the dog a great deal of freedom. But the chain did not give the dog enough freedom to attack the mailman because the chain was linked to a heavy concrete post and it was staked into that post. And so as a result, the dog could not reach the mailman when he brought the mail to the door. Church, at the cross, the devil was made powerless by Jesus. Jesus won the battle against Satan at the cross. Satan was limited. He was chained down by our powerful Savior. And so when Satan bites us, it is usually because we have gotten far too close to Satan. We've enjoyed listening to his lies, and we get closer and closer to listen some more. If you stay far from Satan, he will not be able to harm you. Jesus has defeated your enemy. The final enemy that Jesus has defeated is sin itself. In order to defeat death, Jesus had to deal with the cause of death, sin. He had to defeat sin first. We see how Jesus defeated sin in verse 17. Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does propitiation mean? It's a big, long word. What does it mean? Well, look at it this way. When we sin, what does that do to our good and holy God? It stirs up God's wrath and his anger. When someone does something cruel to someone we love, it stirs up your anger, right? It makes you angry to see someone you love hurt. Well, God feels the same way. He hates sin because he is holy and good. He is deeply offended by our sin. Something then needs to happen to satisfy the wrath of God over our sin. And that something would then make God propitious or favorable toward us. That something that makes God view us with favor is a sacrifice of propitiation, the death of the fully human Jesus, our representative who died in our place on the cross. At the cross, all of God's wrath against sin was poured out on his son Jesus. As a result of all of God's wrath being poured on Jesus, there is no wrath left to be poured out on us. All of it went on Christ. Do you know what that means for you? It means your sin is gone. Forgiven. And praise God, so is the wrath of God against your sin. We are free and sin has been defeated because of the death of Jesus on the cross. 
There's something amazing about Jesus taught in verse 17. I hope this amazing truth helps you to worship Jesus with more joy and wonder this week. Since Jesus is the propitiation sacrifice for our sin that satisfies the wrath of God, that means that Jesus is both the high priest and the sacrifice that is offered up to God. In a sense, then, Jesus is both the chef and the meal. In the days of Aaron and of all of the high priests who followed him, none of those high priests offered up themselves. It never would have occurred to them to do that. God had commanded that they offer up animal sacrifices to take their place. But Jesus did not offer an animal. Jesus offered himself for you. And God willingly gave his son for you. Church, can you see how deep your God's love is for you? That he would offer his only son for your sake. What a great gift we have been given that defeated sin. There is no greater gift than Jesus, our Savior. I began today with a question. Do you really want to represent yourself before God on Judgment Day? I hope you have seen today what a bad idea that would be. But I also hope you have seen today that it is a great idea to have Jesus represent you before God. To have Jesus, your high priest, stand in your place. Jesus will help you win your case if you have faith in him. Jesus will have you declared righteous before God. Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death as your representative. And so Jesus will give you victory in court on Judgment Day. And Jesus also can give you victory today whenever you face temptation and trial. So worship Jesus, your great high priest, there is no one greater. Jesus always wins. As we come to the close of our service, I'll ask our worship team to come back. Right. Let's pray together. Jesus, how great you are. We have such powerful enemies fighting against us. And yet, Jesus, you defeat them all. For those who are discouraged today by the enemies that they are facing, please lift their hearts. Remind them of the victory that you have won for them. Help them to see that victory afresh in the days and the weeks to come before Easter. Thank you, Jesus, for being such a great Savior. We love you and we worship you. In your great name we pray. Amen.